to you. Let's say thanks to Sarah one more time, shall we? That was great. Well, so far for me, the weekend has not been smooth. How many believe that I've had a few issues in my life, that stuff happens to me? You know, you know that? Uh, yesterday the sun was shining and so um, uh, Kay, my wife, uh, who's here in this service, my beloved, lovely wife, um, she, uh, she said, uh, we're going to wash some windows and you need to get the garden hose out. And so I plugged the hose onto the faucet or whatever the thing's called. And Is that what it's called? And uh, it, no water came out the end. I said, honey, there is ice in this hose. And because I know stuff like this, she, she, she trusted me. She said, okay, what are we going to do? I said, we're going to pump hot water through this hose to melt the ice. And so we did that and it was still blocked. So I said, we are going to put the hose out in the sun. We are going to have a sunbathed hose and that will melt the ice. And we did that for an hour and that didn't work. And then I was looking at the hose and uh, <clears throat> I said, you know, honey, there's a valve on the end of this And I just moved that valve slightly and I very quickly discovered that there was never any ice in the hose. As it hit me in the face, I said, thank you, Jesus. Glory to God. And then, you know, the weekend's not going well. Just before coming out here, I pour coffee all over my sermon. Look at that. It's a mess. You know what I did? I microwaved it. I don't know whether to preach it or read it right now. Well, focus. We are talking this weekend, the last in this series in Philippians, uh, Jailhouse Rock, uh, Beauty and Brokenness. And we're thinking today about choosing joy, choosing joy. And uh, we're going to look at one verse initially, Philippians chapter 4 and, and verse 4, where the Apostle Paul says, uh, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. I told you before that years ago when I first became a Christian, we sang some rather ridiculous songs about joy and about happiness. We sang, uh, I am H-A-P-P-Y. I am H-A-P-P-Y. I know I am. I'm sure I am. I am H-A-P-P-Y. Great theological weighty classic there. Another one of my personal favourites was, it isn't any trouble just to S-M-I-L-E. No, it isn't any trouble just to S-M-I-L-E. If you pack up all your troubles, then they'll vanish like a bubble. If you only take the trouble just to S-M-I-L-E. Let's face it, that's enough to make you V-O-M-I-T. <clears throat> Would you pray for me? I'm feeling naughty. <laughs> naughty. You know, as we think about joy today, choosing joy, this is not just happy clappyism here. This is not uh, just smile. But God does want us to know his joy, and that includes some happiness. Now, now, before we get into this, I need to issue a health warning, because sometimes the subject of joy is used hurtfully and unhelpfully to wound people who struggle with depression. Like, what's wrong with you? 
Don't you know that that you're a Christian, you're supposed to have joy. Uh, I remember when I I spent a year in clinical depression and uh, some of my Christian friends weren't that helpful to me. They said, so, we hear that you haven't got the victory. I'd say, well, apparently not. Well, what can we do to sort you out? Well, how about going away forever? That would be a a great start. So, with a health warning issued, and I, I don't want to make sweeping statements that would wound anybody here. I know what that feels like. Nonetheless, God wants us to experience his joy fundamentally because he wants us to be like him and he's happy. He is happy. God is joyful. John Ortberg says, God is the happiest person in the universe. He is not the cosmic killjoy. He is not the God of the gotcha, as the Catholic writer Nancy Mayers puts it. I discovered this week on the internet this sign that was placed on a highway (laughs) in Texas. Look at that. Don't make me come down there. And you know, for some people, that's their image of God, this frowning judge. Don't make me come down there. God is joyful. Jesus is joyful. Jesus was joyful on this earth. He was the man of sorrows, but he was the man of joy. He told his father in John 17, just before going to the cross, I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world, that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. He told his followers about his joy. John 15, 11, I have told you this, so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Jesus was joyful. That's why they invited him to parties. And not just because of his capacity to provide the beverages. You don't invite uptight, miserable people to parties. Not only did Jesus want to be with sinners, but sinners wanted to be with Jesus. Children love them. Children don't like wide-eyed, religious, staring fanatics. Come here, honey. No, the children loved him. Why? Because there's something beautifully vibrant and alive. And, and Jesus is joyful and he calls the church to joy. We have not been ordained to be the frozen chosen people. Yes, I've got this joy, 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 joy down in my heart. And people look at us and they shout, Where? Down in my heart. Where? Down in my heart. Graham Tomlin says, Miserable, gloomy churches have lost, have missed the point. He likens, Graham Tomlin likens the church to being like Robin Hood and his merry men. Anyone heard of Robin Hood? I saw a picture on the internet of his grave this week. Which is weird because he didn't exist. I don't know how that happened. But Robin Hood and his merry men celebrating great big feasts. Friar Tuck with a gigantic piece of chicken. Celebrating the rule of the good king. Subverting the powers. Robbing the rich to give to the poor. This is a picture of the church. God is looking for a joyful people. We do not apologize in Timberline for laughing. We believe passionately in fun before death. 
we believe that as a value, not just, well, that's kind of cute, isn't it? That keeps everyone listening, you know, laugh a bit. <laughs> Who's the weird guy up there? That's, that's funny. No, we are committed to a value of joy and laughter. The trouble is, what is joy? It, it's difficult to define. If you asked an Old Testament Hebrew if he had spiritual joy, he wouldn't know what you were talking about. Because joy is not some weird spiritual thing. In Hebrew thinking, joy was discovered in life, in marriage, in sexuality, in a good harvest, in the birth of children, in the enjoyment of a good meal. This was holistic joy. And then joy is a choice because we're told to rejoice. And yet at the same time, joy is a work, a, a, a result of God's activity and work in our lives. Fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5.22. And yes, joy may involve laughter as Abraham and Sarah discovered when as extreme seniors they found out they were pregnant. And yet it may not involve laughter because the Apostle Paul, Paul talked about being sorrowful yet always rejoicing in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 verse 10. So, so what can we learn about joy today? Well, let's follow along in the bulletin. First of all, let's see that joy can be a surprising thing. Surprised by joy, because, because Paul writes from a prison cell, and he writes about the jailhouse rock. Surprised by joy, a prison cell and a jailhouse rock. Paul says there in verse 14 of this chapter, it was good of you to share in my troubles. Look at this. He's in trouble and he's talking about joy. How many people like shopping here? How many people like, you know, you kind of enjoy shopping? Just raise your hand, confess. That's good. How many men like me? I, I love shopping. Any, any men like shopping? I like shopping. And my shopping habits have changed massively since I became a grandfather. You knew that, didn't you? Because now everywhere I go, I am looking for baby clothes. We were out this week and I spent 20 minutes looking around the store and I said to my wife, Honey, where's the baby clothing section? And she said, I don't know, but you know, we are in Home Depot. So I'm... <laughs> Let's say you were out shopping for joy. Where would you go shopping for joy? Uh, you might go to the graduation party. You'd expect to find some joy there, lots of hope and expectation. You might, you might wander by the wedding chapel and maybe even bump into an Elvis impersonator. <laughs> You'd find maybe some joy there. You, 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 you might uh, find yourself going to the circus and, and laughing at the clowns as they do their stuff. You know, the, the circus, the, the wedding chapel, the graduation ceremony, death row. That would be a good place to look. Say, excuse me. Circus, wedding chapel, graduation ceremony. I, I get those. Death row. You see, Paul did not know that he was going to survive this. He hoped that he would, but he had no certainty. And yet he writes from death row... 14 times in this epistle about joy. You see, joy can be found in surprising places because joy is not just rooted in us having the right set of circumstances. Are you like me? I just get my life 
like, right. And then I pick up a garden hose. (laughs) But you see, the Apostle Paul does not just say rejoice. He says rejoice in the Lord. And I am here today to tell all of us that joy is available to us, but this is not, well, just choose joy and be happy. This is choose joy and choose Jesus because he is the author of our joy whatever the circumstances are. Jesus is the reason for joy. So, surprising joy is found in the oddest places. Secondly, let's think a bit about rugged joy. Refusing disappointment. Rugged joy, refusing disappointment and embracing reality. Look at verses 2 and 3. I plead with Euodia and I plead with Syntyche to agree with each other in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, loyal yoke fellow, help those women who have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Now, what's this about? There are two women, women with souls, women with brains, who are having a bit of a fuss in the church. Their names are Euodia and Syntyche. They were most likely involved in leadership in the church. Euodia means prosperous journey. Syntyche means a pleasant acquaintance. Not, because now they are having a fuss. We don't know very much, in fact we don't know anything about what the fuss was about. But the point I want us to see is that Paul is painting a realistic, authentic portrait of fellowship life. These are not flaky women. These are not flaky people. They are good people. Verse 3, they have laboured at Paul's side in the gospel. The Greek there means they have fought like gladiators for the cause of the gospel. These are responsible, mature people. Their names are written in the book of life. But they're having a fight. Paul is letting us know the real picture about how difficult relationships can be. What's this got to do with joy? Well, I'll tell you. One of the major challenges that can erode our joy is when, as idealists, we get disappointed with each other. And our joy disappears because, you know, we come along here and everybody looks great and wonderful and they're nice to us and then we we hang around for a while. And have you noticed who we are allowing to come to church here these days? I mean, look around. This place is full of human beings. Any one of whom could potentially mess up your day. You may have come here this morning and on the way here you were thinking, I hope, I hope he's not there. You may be sitting there right now and there's someone you're disappointed with and you're looking at him right now. (laughs) And Paul is saying to us idealists, and I've often said it, if you've been part of this great church for more than six months, and nothing's irritated you yet, you're probably clinically dead. <laughs> Get, can, I, can I say this without sounding crass? Get over it. Do not wait, do not allow disappointment to rob you of your joy. Because it's found in unusual places and it's found in the place 
of reality. Maintain the unity of the Spirit, Paul says in Ephesians 4.3. That involves hard work. Relationships can be tough. Joy is rugged. Thirdly, let's think for a few moments about joy's primary enemy, anxiety and taming the brain. Joy's primary enemy, anxiety, taming the brain. Look at verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, Whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. Do not be anxious, he says. The word anxiety here means to be pulled in two different directions at once. You ever felt like that? The word worry in the old English means to be strangled. You ever felt like that? And I'm looking at these words, and I read these words this week, and he says, Paul says here, do not be anxious about anything. Hello? What are you talking about, Paul? Don't. Don't be anxious about anything. Are you serious? That can't be, that can't be right, we think. Have you ever felt that overwhelming anxiety... I have recently, where, where it isn't just that you feel anxious, you don't have the strength to stand up or even to sit down. You just want to lie on the floor and press your body onto the floor to let it hold your weight because you haven't got the energy to look up. You know what I'm talking about? And your shoulders droop and your face is downcast and your whole physique expresses the crushing weight of the anxiety. In fact, going through that, it kind of taught me a little bit about what Jesus experienced in Gethsemane when it says in Matthew 26, and he went a little way and fell down on his face. Maybe not just an attitude of prayer, but an expression that just said, I haven't got the energy to even hold my own weight. And so I will just place myself face down. And then I read these words. He says, don't be anxious about anything. And I'm thinking, are you kidding? He's not kidding. I am so glad that the Apostle Paul does not say, don't worry, be happy. If he had said that, I would have had to slap him in heaven. I mean, I just... No, the Apostle Paul doesn't say that. By the way, let's realise where he's coming from. He's on death row. Isn't it true that if you face the ultimate, then the small stuff, you just don't sweat it anymore? If you've buried a loved one, if you've buried a child, you don't care if the bus is a little late. You're not worried about the small stuff of life. So let's bear in mind where he's coming from. But he doesn't just say, don't worry. He says, do not be anxious. And then he says, but pray. But he doesn't just say, pray. He uses three words that I I believe can be helpful to us. The first word is pray. 
and it means worship, adoration. When we're anxious, Paul is saying, first of all, come and worship God because you get a sense of the bigness of God in relationship to your problems. Then he says, petition. With petitions. What's a petition? A petition can be something that we just yell out to God. Jesus did that. Uh, In Hebrews 5 and verse 7, it says, During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears. And I I saw that, I thought, wow, I'm going to write my own petition. In fact, I'm going to share it with you now. Get your pen out. You might want to use my liturgy, my petition that I have developed. This is not copyrighted and I give you permission to use it. It's a four-part liturgy and it goes like this. Part one. Okay, you ready? Part one. Help! That's part one. Got that? Okay. Okay, get ready. Part two. Here's part two. Help! Got that? Okay. Part three. I'll do this again at the end if you like, just so you get it. Part three. Help! And part four. Amen. Prayer, petition. And do you know that anxiety where you just walk around going, help, help, help. I don't know what to do. Help, help, help. And then thanksgiving. Because thanksgiving gives us a sense of gratitude for what is good in our lives and gives us a sense of perspective in the anxiety which we face. And then Paul says, and guard your mind. It says, finally, in the the translation of the Greek, And scholars agree that word is unnecessary and it's unhelpful because it kind of gives us the impression that Paul is now talking about something else. He isn't. He's talking about anxiety. He says, don't worry, pray like this. And then he says, and think about what is good. And the very fact that Paul is telling us to think about what is good means that we have control of our brains. You are not your brain. I wonder what thoughts are running around in your head right now. I wish I knew. Maybe I'm glad I don't. I wonder what's dancing around in your head right now. You're thinking, that is a fine shirt. That is one handsome man. You're thinking. Over there, you're thinking, when will he ever shut up? You see, what can happen is that we let any old thought run around our heads unchallenged. Like, duh! Oh, here comes a thought. Here comes a thought. It's anger. It's, it's lust. It's, oh, oh my, I'm, I'm powerless over this. I just need to run with this. Okay, then. Oh, I think it's going to go. Oh, oh, here comes another one. Last night, our alarm beat. My wife said to me, get up. The alarm beeped. I said, honey, what do you want me to do? I don't have a gun. I'm dangerous with a hose. I'm not going to carry a gun. So I'm walking around the house in my gown and my cowboy boots. Get that thought out of your mind right now. And I find it helpful to jump into rooms suddenly <laughs> and to assume an attack position. 
this body is a highly trained weapon. <laughs> the fact that the alarm beat required an investigation because we don't like intruders running around the house. So why, in the name of everything that is reasonable, do we open the doors of our brains and here comes a thought, oh, 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 you just let it run amok. And then we worry, we wonder why we're uptight and agitated and fearful. No, the Apostle Paul says, take every thought captive. Freeze! Sir, thought, step away from the brain. <laughs> I just thought of that. I need to write that down. <laughs> Part of overcoming anxiety and experiencing joy is prayer, petition, thanksgiving, and guarding our brain. And in fact, the Bible promises us that if we will do that, then it says the peace of God will guard your mind. It will be like a garrison, a sentry guarding a garrison. We can learn how to experience joy as we prayerfully take control of our thinking. Well, the last thing, the last thing is this. Fourthly, being fully alive, joy and contentment today. Look at verses 12 and 13 as we think about joy. I know what it is to be in need, says the Apostle, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in, every, in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Now stop right there. I have seen Christians misuse that last verse. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It's like they, they quote it out of context. They, they, unlike Sarah Kelly who sings beautifully, they think they can sing and it, they can't. And you tell them, you can't sing. And they say, no, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. No, you can't sing. You're not a brain surgeon. And if you're a man, you can't give birth. Don't tell me that you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. You can't fly without a ticket. <laughs> so don't misuse that verse. Paul is saying here, whatever comes, Jesus will strengthen me. But, he uses some interesting language here. He actually borrows a Stoic saying when he says, I have learned to be content. The Stoics use that in a sense of self-containment. I'm content within myself. But you see, no, Paul revises that and says, no, I've learned to be content, not within myself, but through Christ, who strengthens me. Notice he says, I have learned. I have learned to be content. This is not something that happens instantly. I have learned. How many of you have been to Disneyland? Who's been to Disneyland here? Raise your hand. Do you remember that song that won't get out of your brain? You know that song like for three weeks afterwards you were... What is that song? No, that's not the one I'm thinking of. The one, I, I know it's a... I know that one. That was it, by the way. The one I'm thinking of is the one that says now is the time, now is the best time. Now is the best time of your life. 
You're looking blank. Maybe it was SeaWorld. <laughs> the wisdom of Shamu. I remember that song. And it's true. The song says, now is the best time of your life. He said, you don't know what kind of time I'm going through right now. No, I don't, but it's the best time because it's the only time we've got. And Paul is saying, I have learned how to be content in that situation. What was it that Sarah sang? I'm going to taste every moment. Why would we rip today out of our calendar of joy? Paul says, I've learned to be content. And I believe that as we ask God to enroll us in the academy of contentment, that we can learn something about it too. We're going to pray together. Would you bow your head with me and let's pray. Lord, we thank you because uh, what we're talking about here today is what a thirsty world is really looking for. Joy. We thank you because here we find joy in the most unusual of places. And our prayer for each other today is that that will be our experience too unexpected joy. We pray for a ruggedness about our joy, that we will be realists, that we will not be disappointed. Grant us joy when we fail each other. We want to learn to be fully alive today. We read these words, I've learned to be content. Lord, show us what that feels and looks like. And now, Lord, we want to pray about anxiety, worry. Just as our heads are bowed, I think it's probably true that every one of us could talk about worry. But, you know, some of us today, we're kind of gifted when it comes to anxiety. We're famous in our family or among our friends. We're known as the warriors. I want to pray for you in a second. I want to pray for you too if you struggle with depression right now. And I want you to be encouraged by this message and not wounded by it. And pray for you that in the struggle that there will be shafts of light and joy that you encounter. As I look around this place here in the South Auditorium, if you find yourself being the warrior, struggling with depression, can I, either or both of those, can I ask you to slip your hand up please for a moment, just to say, include me in this prayer please. And our hands can go down now. Would you stand with me, all of you please, if you're able. Let's stand for a final moment of prayer.
And so, Lord, we, we stand before you. And folks, can I ask that we do this? Just open your eyes. And as we pray, Lord, we open our eyes because it's not in the darkness behind, behind our eyelids that we meet you, but it's in this reality, this world of our challenges and anxieties that we want to meet you. So we open our eyes, Lord, and we say, walk with us in our reality. And for those of us who find ourselves compulsively anxious, may we see you in our world this week. And for those of us who find ourselves battling depression, may we be strengthened and encouraged. Teach us something about rejoicing in you. We agree together in Jesus' name. Amen. Our prayer team will be here to pray with you. Stop by Sarah Kelly's table, if you would, on the way out. And be very careful, please. Hold just one second. It's very important. Be very careful of those garden hoses because they can be scary. God bless you. Have a great weekend.